this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both for me and for my interviewees from around the world. Today we will be talking to Hamish McKenzie, the founder and principal consultant at Hamish McKenzie Consulting based in Munich, Germany, where his speciality is business-to-business positioning and differentiation, helping his clients to make their businesses stand out. This is the second time that Hamish has been on Interlinks with us, and I have asked him back because he's just produced a new ebook called Extraordinary Made Easy, How to Make Your Business Stand Out with Minimum Effort. And he's launching a new workshop on May 12th called the Valuable Difference Workshop, specifically uh, designed for CEOs and senior executives who want to learn how to position and differentiate their business to best effect. So welcome, Hamish, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you, Patrick, for inviting me. It's good to be here again. Great to have you. So uh, tell me, before we get into uh, substance, what's uh, going on? So we're in the second half of uh, April now. So what's going on with uh, COVID and vaccines and opening or closing in Munich at the moment? Um, that's going to be very difficult to answer that without swearing, Patrick. <laughs> but, um, it's, it's not good, uh, is the short answer. Um, I think the vaccines are slowly accelerating in terms of uh, getting people jabbed. There is, however, because of all the, uh, you know, the, the, well, I don't know if it's hysteria is too strong a word, but the, the reservations, shall we say, about um, a couple of brands of vaccine. Um, people, there, there are certain groups of people who are a bit hesitant to, to get jabbed. Um, so it's still much slower than it should be. We're still lagging behind much of much of Western Europe and, and certainly lagging behind America. I think they're up to 60% mm-hmm. now. Um, so I know we, we've recently, just in the last few days, gone back into uh, a harder lockdown again. Um, we've got a nighttime curfew, uh, restaurants and bars and everything. That, that's been all shut for the, since November. Um, so yeah, not, 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 uh, not a happy a happy situation. Um, and to top it all up, top it all off, it's still been snowing until last week. So <laughs> haven't even come out of winter yet. And you still have these regional differences in Germany. I know the federal government was trying to um, have some new powers where they could dictate basically on a national level what the measures would be. So what's happened there? That's um, about to uh, become official um, so that um, the other chancellor can... Uh, can have a veto over, you know, in this kind of scenario um, and make sure that all the different um, regions comply and, and do things in the same way. Because up until now, that hasn't been the case. In, in fact, one one district opened up um, a few weeks ago, Saarland, uh, which is out in the west on the border with France. And, um, you know, they've, they've been letting people... Uh, you know, eat and drink outdoors and bars and restaurants and stuff. Um, mm. But I think I think they are. I believe they're now seeing another spike in numbers as well. But the numbers are going up everywhere. Okay, um, that's the situation at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a contrast with us now. Our numbers are going down, having been very bad earlier in the year. But hopefully, within the next couple of months, we'll be all in a in a better place. Well, hopefully so. Yeah. But um, uh, I mean, the out the outlook for us at the moment is that not a lot is probably going to change for at least another one or two months. Um, yeah. So we, we can hope for, 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 for perhaps a bit more freedom in, in July and August, but I don't think much will change before then. Yeah. Okay. Well, then back to your uh, your new ebook, uh, and you're talking about this um, concept or this issue or this topic 
of positioning and differentiation. Can you tell me what, what exactly are we talking about here? And what maybe are some companies that do this well that people could relate to? Well, what we're really talking about is, is how to stand out. Um, I mean, most I work a lot, a lot in the technology sector um, and a lot of technology companies have a problem in the sense that in particular sectors, a lot of the products are the same, the features are the same. Um, and there's, there's not a lot of differentiation. And also companies, a lot of companies have a bit of a fear of, of, of trying to stand out either because, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to be a Coca-Cola introducing a new flavor and, and everybody hating it. Um, or they think that maybe the, you know innovation differ, differentiation is going to involve a big, expensive, long innovation project, or that they have to throw you know hundreds of hundreds of thousands or millions of, of euros at, at fancy marketing. And and my point really is with all of this is that that isn't necessarily the case. And we can come in we can come onto that in a bit more detail later. Um, in terms of companies who do it well, um, I mean I hate using this example because everybody uses it, but but obviously Apple is is a classic mm. uh, example of the way they do it, and they're a very good example for for one specific reason. My argument is that the reason I believe most companies get this wrong so much is because they focus on themselves. And they're not focusing on the outcome for the customer. So, for example, a technology, a software company will will focus on its features, um, will focus on um, you know how good it's, how unique its its uh, technology is or methodology is. Um, whereas a company like Apple focuses on the benefit the customer. So the classic example of from them is is the original iPod campaign, which said uh, a thousand songs in your pocket. So it was immediately obvious to the customer what they were getting. They didn't talk about the design. They didn't talk about, um, you know, and in actual fact, the iPod was nowhere near the best um, MP3 player at the time it was launched. Um, they just gave the customer a very simple answer to the question, what's in it for me? Um, and that's what that's what this is all about, really. Okay. And then in, in your ebook, you say something interesting, which is you say this is this positioning and differentiation is not necessarily the job of marketing or maybe not even the job of marketing. And I can imagine the kind of companies you're talking about, tech companies, and the CEO might be a former academic or might be some sort of scientist or some sort of engineer. And that guy or gal is thinking, well, I hired this marketing dude uh, to do this for me. So when you say it's not the job of marketing, I guess you're implying that it's the job of the CEO. So can you just go into that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think what I'm saying is it's not just about marketing. Um, I mean, about 20, God, was it 20 years ago? I don't know. Um, famous marketer Seth Godin came out with a book called uh, purple cow or what's your purple cow something along those lines and, and the problem with with relying on marketing to do this is that it's it's a, a very shallow um uh differentiator and particularly if if the experience the customer experience behind the marketing doesn't live up to what you're promising in the marketing right so it's fine to have nice marketing and to have a nice sounding promise and all the rest of it um but again that's not really delivering value for the customer. What delivers value for the customer is a great experience. Um, and that's what, in my view, CEOs and, and, and other leaders um, in organizations need to spend much much more time focusing on um, and, and perhaps taking a step back from day-to-day -day operations a bit more often and seeing, okay, what are we actually delivering to our customers? What are the outcomes they're getting? Is that the same as what they actually need? Have their needs changed? Um, and, and that's certainly much more of a strategic issue than it is a marketing issue as far as I'm concerned. 
And is this an area that you find CEOs in these types of companies have difficulties with, that their default is to think about their, their product or their service and its yeah. features and its benefits? Is that is that the way they yeah. think? And I mean, this is, you know, this is, it's hardly, it's hardly new what I'm saying here. It's not exactly rocket science either, but it's, it's, it's a natural tendency, especially as you were, you were mentioning, a lot of these companies are, are founded by, you know, by, by technical people, engineers, um, you know, even, you know, software space, you know, kind of techno nerds, geeks, um, and they, they, they are obsessed with their products and, and, you know, that that's not a bad thing in and, in and of itself. But if that's what you talk about to the customer, then you're going to have problems because, um, of course, you need to sell a technology product to technology people, but you, the, the, the decision maker, the people who's actually going to sign the check, um, is obviously going to be often going to be a business um, person rather than a technology person. And so you need to make very clear what is the outcome um, that you're delivering to the customer. I can give you a, a quick example in the um, biotech space, actually. So I was talking to uh, a sales guy in a, in a company which runs labs, um, testing for various diseases. And I was talking to him, you know, what, what makes you stand out? What makes you different from, from your competitors in this space? And he said, well, it's all about speed. We can deliver results. We can turn around test results faster than pretty much anybody else in the world. And while he was telling me this, I, I took the opportunity to, to have a look on their website. And after a couple of minutes, I interrupted him and I said, you know, you're telling me that your differentiator, your big benefit is all about speed. And he said, yeah, well, I've just been on your website and there's not met one mention of speed anywhere. It's all about how you've got the best scientists, how your lab equipment is the best, um, you know, state of the art. There's nothing about speed whatsoever in any of your um, messaging, in any of your positioning. And, and he was pretty shocked, to say the least, <laughs> when he, you know, the penny, see, see the penny drop. Um, and, uh, you know, we ended, ended up having, going on to have a good, very good conversation about that. But um, so this is a classic example of the mistakes that company make uh, in this area. It's interesting as well. You mentioned in your ebook that when you're thinking about this, it is actually more about the investment of time and thought rather than in the investment in, in money. And I guess, say, in, in the world that I'm involved in, in logistic services, a lot of companies are afraid to differentiate because they, they fear that if they differentiate, they will have to invest a lot of resource and then consequently it will make them uncompetitive. Um, so it's interesting that you say it's more about the investment of thought rather than uh, money. How, how might that manifest itself? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously very market specific, right? And some markets are much more, um, you know, the margins are much tighter. And so any big investments you do make um, have to be um, very well thought out if they're not going to destroy your profitability. Um, I guess my argument in this area is really that uh, companies should start at the, at the simplest level possible. And that often has to do with customer service. Um, so if we just take a very um, basic example, going back to software companies, most um, software companies as part of their package will, uh, you know, they'll, they'll provide you with the software and they'll probably send you an engineer over to help with the installation, make sure it's all up and running, um, you know, which, which is all fine. And it's a good standard service to provide. Um, but that's, you know, pretty much where it will stop. And so as a customer in that example, I'm going to be satisfied, but I'm not exactly going to be raving about, um, you know, about the company, about how wonderful they are, because that they did what was expected of them, but that was it. 
Now, if you take the same software companies just supplied this customer, and let's say that the CTO of the software company um, two weeks later phones up the customer and asks them about, you know, checks to make sure that it's that it's uh, you know that everything's working. See if they've got any more questions about the product. See if they've got any suggestions what can be improved. Now, if the CTO of the software company has phoned me up as a customer out of the blue, that's going to impress me, and that's going to get me talking about uh, that company to all my other friends, um, all my other, other uh, business, uh, you know, business friends in, in other companies. Now, I'm not suggesting that the CTO can make time in his diary to phone every single new customer, of course not. But to, to, to make that kind of um, an addition to, to, a, to a process is, is not expensive, doesn't involve a lot of effort, but it has a, a, a big impact in terms of um, referability, in terms of getting customers to, to become advocates after they become customers. Um, and this is becoming increasingly important in, in every market um, because uh, customers have much more information than they used to. And they've usually already rejected five or six different companies, depending on what they're buying, before they actually even talk to a salesperson, if they even ever talk to a salesperson. Um, so customer advocacy is another big part of this. And I think that's uh, we'll, we'll see that becoming more and more important in every market, in business-to-business markets as well. Um, in consumer markets, it's already well-established, obviously. Um, you're talking about looking for opportunities to provide things that maybe don't cost a lot, but mean a lot to the person on the receiving end. Exactly, exactly. Meaningful things which are going uh, to enhance my impression my perception of the value that I'm receiving. And if I get a personal call from the CTO of a large software company or a medium-sized software company that I've just bought from and spent a lot of money on, um, then that's the kind of thing, a small thing, that that's, that, that's going to impress me. And, and you can start with you know, very small things like that. And, uh, and it can really, over time, and if you add, you keep adding to them over time, then it, it can start making a really big difference for not much upfront investment. And we, talk, we spoke about already a little bit about focusing on on outcomes as opposed to product features and benefits or advantages sometimes is the word that's used. Um, just to reiterate on, on, on that point, when we're talking about customer outcomes, what, what kind of things are we talking about? Well, the, the example that I like to use is because I'm a bit of a car nut, as I think you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> But if we, if we take a Ferrari as an example, um, you know, a Ferrari is, is a very special thing for, for lots of different reasons. Um, now, the feature of a Ferrari might be the fact that it has a V12 engine. But the, the advantage or the benefit of, of that is, you know, maybe that I can accelerate from 0 to 60, you know, faster than pretty much anything else on the road. So I'm never going to lose the, uh, the traffic light Grand Prix, as they call it. Um, but the outcome the outcome is that I feel as a Ferrari driver, I feel like a racing driver. That's the outcome for me, that emotional connection um, of feeling like I'm Sebastian Vettel or, or, or whoever. Um, so that's it's, it's one step beyond the benefit, right? Nobody ever bought a Ferrari because of the V12 engine. They bought a Ferrari because they want to feel like they're a racing driver every time they get in the car. So it's about, it's about meaning. Uh, it's about feeling better off or maybe feeling one up on someone else and it's really about emotion really isn't it yeah it's it's definitely it's that emotional connection um um yeah and it's not always about i mean obviously ferraris yeah you, there's all the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of a loaded example i guess and you know there's all things about elitism and everything around that but um yeah it, it is a, it is about that emotional connection and as your friend and mine alan vice always says um you know it logic makes 
gets people interested, but it's a motion that people uh, that makes people buy. Um, and this is, I, I get totally that this is not always uh, easy when you're dealing in a in what might be a fairly dry, um, you know, product area, you know, in industrial manufacturing, or you know, it's not always easy to make an emotional connection. But somewhere along the line, whoever's signing the check for whatever product or service it is you're selling, you're going to be solving. There's going to be an emotional element to to the problem that you're solving for them, um, and that's that's a very important part of the value that they're getting that often gets neglected, particularly in business to business markets. You spoke as well about this concept of uh, thinking sideways and you had a nice example there of um, connection between French tires and fine dining. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about thinking sideways. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's the example I, I love to use is that um, sometimes you just need to think a bit about around the edges of whatever product or service um, that, that, that it is you, that you offer. And the classic example of this is, is Michelin, um, who in the early 1900s were, were a tire manufacturer. And 100 years later, they're synonymous with, with fine dining. And you think, well, how the hell did that happen? Well, the, re- the reason is that the, the, uh, the founders suddenly realized that if they could, um, if they encourage people to drive more, then, then they'd sell more tires. And a good way in France of encouraging people to drive more is telling them where the good restaurants are. <laughs> and so they produced a book giving people guidance on where to where the best hotels where the best restaurants were in order to get people driving more as a result of which they would need more tires and so this kind of lateral thinking around um whatever it is that as i said whatever product or service it is you're offering um that, that can sometimes be a, a rich source of of ideas and creativity um if you're struggling to find something that's that's specific to your product or service yeah, I think we're beginning to see a lot of that in, you know, with the Internet of Things, Industry 4.0, and the commoditization of certain services and products and so on, where people are layering on top through the data collection additional value-added services. Um, for example, one I saw was uh, about cleaning equipment. And now with the collection of data through the machines, um, you know, they can tell what areas need to be cleaned and what frequency. So they're not necessarily cleaning every place with the same frequency, um, the consumption of the detergents and so on. So they're giving lots of value added insights and knowledge and intelligence back through uh, a product that basically had become totally commoditized, you know, like a floor cleaner. So uh, it's a little bit like that, is it? Yeah, absolutely, and and that and that goes further in in that in that particular IoT um, space. Then you know the machine is actually able to tell you in advance when it's likely to break down, and so you can already have the relevant parts in you know ready to go because you know that um, probably in another three months something is going to break, and you can replace it um, you know a week or two before that involve uh, reduce or perhaps even eliminate any downtime. Mm-hmm. Which, which um, you know, obviously saves a lot of money potentially because if, if a big machine goes bang in a big factory, then <laughs> this is not cheap. <laughs> yes, this is where product companies are becoming service companies, and um, that's an interesting development in your in your world. What you know, software, software as a service, and all of that. The mix between product and service is becoming blurred, I guess, as well. Is it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's I see it more the other way around, actually. So products so are hardware companies needing to become not just service companies, but software companies. And that's something that a lot of them struggle with as well, because obviously, it's a totally different business. It's a totally different um, pricing model. It's a totally different um, way of selling things. Um, but it's but it's inevitable, because it's, um, you know, it's where that's where the value is being added. That's where the, the difference is being made. And you can see it in, in cars now, for example. I mean, fewer and fewer people are interested in driving, um, you know, very fast, very flash cars. In fact, they're being legislated out of existence. And so the, the way that car manufacturers are trying to differentiate themselves is, is what happens inside the car in terms of the software, in terms of the, the experience you have as you're driving it. And so you have, you know, you have fake engine noises, you have ambient lighting, you have... Um, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of, I'm sure a Tesla has probably got 101 things that I don't even know about. Um, mm. And, and their car companies are now describing themselves as technology companies, not as car companies anymore. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the lines are definitely blurring. You spoke as well about this uh, sweet spot where credibility meets reliability meets uh, desirability. And that, if you like, is how the valuable difference is is achieved so what are the kind of things that companies need to be able to do to create that sweet spot well they need to they they need to be able to match up those three areas basically so the first thing is they need to they need to um have a have a good presence and that's where uh, or a, a credible presence but also an attractive market presence and that where that's where the marketing side of things does come in but as i mentioned at the beginning um that's not enough on its own so if you've got um a good market presence, you also need to be actually um, backing that up with a customer experience that delivers the outcomes and the value that we were talking about before. Um, and then the third axis, or the not an axis, is it, but the third um, third element, if you like, is the operation so that you're able to deliver that on a reliable, consistent basis. Um, consistency is really, it is makes up for a lot of um, areas where you're perhaps not as strong as your competitors if you can be if you can deliver a really good experience very reliably um then then you're already well ahead of the curve as far as i'm concerned and i'll give you a, a very quick example of that just from my personal life in the last few weeks um we decided to try one of these um services where they where a company sends you the ingredients for for a few meals um and you so you don't have to think about the recipe they send you the recipe and the ingredients you just have to put them all together and cook it um, it's a big company. Um, they think they've got revenues of, of 10 billion or so. So our experience was, was, was as follows. The first time we ordered, it arrived three days late. The second day, the second time we ordered, it, it arrived in the evening after we'd already eaten because we, we were waiting for it and it didn't come. So we had to cook with whatever we had left in the house. And the third time we ordered, uh, it arrived with, with half the ingredients missing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was this was a pretty a pretty classic example of a company which got it very wrong. Now I know a lot of people are very happy with them, so maybe we just got unlucky. But um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as a consumer, if, if people screw it up three times in a row, that's <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good sign that that I'm not you know I'm not going to be a happy customer, right? And just to contrast that, um, I ordered. There's a very a tiny tiny. Um, um, artisan chocolate company here in Munich and they import beans from all over the world and make some really, really great, uh, great product, great chocolate. Um, and I ordered from them four or five bars of chocolate about four o'clock one afternoon. Um, and it arrived by midday the next day, obviously they're only having to travel from, you know, it's only a 10 mile postal route from, from where they are to where I am, but still they, they arrived the next day, beautifully packaged, great product, 
perfectly presented with a personalized postcard thanking me for my business because uh, I'd actually met them a few weeks before at, at an online chocolate tasting uh, that I attended. And they remember they recognized my name from um, from that event. Now, obviously, this is a very much a smaller scale thing, and I'm not suggesting that every company can send personalized postcards to all their customers. But that's, again, the kind of thing I'm, I've already started telling everyone I know about that chocolate company. And I know that they're getting business because of me, because I'm evangelizing about them. The other lot, <laughs> I'm slagging off to anybody who will listen about how appalling they are. Um, or they were or about how appalling our experience was anyway. So, um, and th- those are the kind of differences that I'm, that I'm talking about. Yeah. So I, I guess by definition, you know, most offerings out there are average. And I guess you, you, you're saying that average offerings and average products can be made extraordinary by using some of these approaches and techniques. And how much that, that is, is that true? One question. And how much better than average do you have to be to be extraordinary? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I suppose that's a fair question. I don't. I'm. I'm not really in a position to quantify it. Um, but you have what you have to do something which is going to make the customer talk about your product or service to somebody else, right? That, that's basically, that's how I decide whether the difference or the, 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 the new aspect of your product or service that you're thinking of introducing, is this going to make other people talk about us to other people? Because that kind of advocacy is, is far more powerful than any kind of sales enablement um, process that you can, that you can imagine or assets. And, and as I said, just from my own personal experience, it, it, it does make a difference because I talk about the companies that I love and whose products I use and, and who give me something different. And the ones that are average, I just, you know, I don't mention them to anyone. And the ones that deliver a terrible experience, I, I actively, um, you know, talk about them negatively to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not, this is not rocket science, but it, it it's not, you just have to be doing a bit more than the next guy, basically, in order to stand out. But it needs to be something that will motivate a customer to talk to another potential customer about your product or service. So for people who want to get hold of your ebook and read a little bit more about this, or people who would like to attend uh, your, your workshop, which is on the 12th of May, um, where can they find those two things? All they need to do is visit my website at www.hamishmackenzie.com. I'll just spell that quickly. It's H-A-M-I-S-H-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E.com. Um, and the, the navigation there is, is uh, hopefully pretty pretty easy to uh, to find your way around. Um, you'll see ebooks at the top and you'll see a free webinar tab at the top. Just click on those. You can register for the event there uh, and download the ebook in advance uh, as well. And uh, yeah, in that in that sixty minute session, I'll be taking people through a few of these concepts um, and, and explaining in a bit more detail how to make the jump between um, or from average and extraordinary. Excellent. So, well, Hamish, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, as as always. And many thanks for being here with us again today. You're very welcome, Patrick. Thanks. I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which you can pick up on Amazon, Google Books and Apple Books. Thank you and keep well until next time.